Welcome to Red Carpet Retirement. This podcast is all about helping business owners and those in the entertainment and creative industries secure and protect their financial future. We provide educational stories and specific strategies so you can achieve the red carpet retirement you so richly deserve. Now here's your host, Adam Scott. Hello and welcome to Red Carpet Retirement with your host, Adam Scott. Adam, what's going on, my man? Hey, Eric. Great to see you. Yeah, and uh, so so sorry. I know that you're you're uh, recovering from COVID, Eric. So uh, <laughs> your throat might be a little throaty, but uh, great to be here with you anyway. Well, you know, my wife says, "Hey, that sounds pretty good." <laughs> <laughs> Not all the time. It's it's a little raspy still. I appreciate the well wishes. Um, it was my first round with it, and let's get this over with. Let's be done with this stuff, right? You're a long term holdout. Congratulations! Yeah, I almost made it, man. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, today is a very, very important topic. I'm, I'm really excited about this. Uh, why don't you introduce what we're talking about to the audience? So this is um, 10 questions to ask your financial advisor, either that you're working with or if you're interviewing financial advisors, because it's so difficult to know the difference. And in fact, even in the name financial advisor, you know, there's financial advisors, there's financial planners, there are insurance salespeople mm-hmm. who call themselves financial advisors people who sell stocks, people who sell bonds. So what does the financial advisor who you're potentially going to work with, how do they actually help you, right? So this will help uncover how they're going to help you and are they going to help you or are they going to hurt you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> because sadly, some of that happens in the industry. Yeah. And and one of the things that before we hit the record button today, we were talking about this and you were basically saying, hey, you know, people need to be bold because this is a pretty important interview. When you're asking these questions, this is not something that you just say, hey, are you a good guy? <laughs> oh, okay, I'll hire you. I mean, this is a major decision. So let's really dial in. Absolutely. Okay, all right, well, you sent me the questions. So I think format-wise, I'm gonna ask you the questions and you're gonna kind of tell us why that question's important and, and maybe answer a few of them too. Absolutely. All right, well, let's get started. So I love this first one, it's very interesting. And you got to be bold to ask this. Here we go. Do you have, Adam, I'm going to ask you, do you have any customer complaints or abuses on your record? Well, Eric, good to say I do not have any right, that's customer a good start. complaints <laughs> or abuses on my record. Yeah. And obviously that sounds in some ways like an obvious question to ask. And maybe most people will not be so bold as to ask a financial advisor, but it is maybe the most important thing that you need to know. The Good thing to know is you can go onto something called brokercheck.com. That's brokercheck.com. And you can look up whether the person you're interviewing or the person you're working with has any customer complaints or abuses on their record. And in fact, there should be a link on their website Mm. by law to brokercheck.com where you can look this up because the SEC is trying to make this more and more transparent so that people are protected from sadly some of the bad apples in the financial yeah. industry. Yeah. I think that's a great question. I, I think it's, uh, again, I'd love for people to be bold and find out before they go ask the question, then, you know, then they have the proof already. So that that's great. Brokercheck.com. Right. And I'll give one little caveat to that, Eric, that, you know, there are advisors who do do their best, but sadly, sometimes things can go amiss with a client or they, you know, they have a bad relationship with a client who may complain about something that, mm-hmm. that actually where the client was, where the advisor was trying to help them. So I'm not saying that everybody who has 
a complaint registered is necessarily a bad advisor. I just want people to be informed. Okay. Uh, in fact, I'll give one other thing that an advisor I know had a bar fight about 20 years ago. Can you imagine when he was a young man? Wow. And I believe that remains on his record. So um, yeah, yeah, do look into it just because there's some kind of something on the record does not necessarily mean you should not work with that person. But if they got a clean record, that that's a good thing. That's, if they've been in the industry for, for 20, 30 years, and they got a clean record, you know, you're onto a good thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. The second question on your list is this. Are you fee only? Right. So that somewhat speaks for itself. But I'll explain a bit more because there are various ways of getting paid in the industry for giving financial advice or for mm -hmm. doing financial sales. And commissions can be a major way that people get paid. If your advisor accepts commissions, they are not fee only. They may call themselves fee-based, i.e. that may, they may charge you an investment management fee, they may charge you a financial planning fee, but they also sell you products and they get commissions. And then they are not fee only. Got it. Now, why some people believe that being like myself, I am fee only, and why we think that is a good thing is because if I'm giving you advice if I tell you that, let's say that I think you need long-term care, I'm not going to be selling you the long-term care policy. I'm just going to do a financial plan for you and tell you, hey, Eric, I think you would be well served by a long-term care policy based on my analysis. I'm not benefiting from telling mm -hmm. you that or selling that to you. Now, I know an advisor who charges investment management fees, he charges financial planning fees, and then in creating the financial plan, he will come up with a reason for you to buy a particular insurance product. Oh, man. And then he gets the commission for selling you <laughs> that insurance product. So effectively, some people might say he's double dipping. I actually think he's a really good advisor, and I, and I think that in his own mind, he justifies what he's doing. Yeah. But I know another client, uh, advisor who, who could double dip, but chooses never to charge commissions if he does a financial plan for the client and then sells them a product as a result of the financial plan. Just be aware of how your financial advisor is getting paid. And if they receive commissions, ask them what kind of a commission they're getting, because it's really important for you to know, because I can tell you one thing, if you're receiving a commission for making a sale, that is a big incentive. Whether or not you think it's in the client's best interest, it, it kind of starts affecting your judgment. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can't speak for everybody in the audience, Adam, but I'm probably pretty sure I can speak for both you and I. We've both went shopping for a car before. And right. one of the questions that are normally, they normally ask you is, well, what's your budget or what price range you're looking at? I'm like, early on, you know, when we, my wife and I were younger, well, look, we're looking for a car that's, you know, $7,000 or less, and this is what we're doing. And hopefully this kind of mileage, sure, let's look at this car right over here. And it's got a $10,000 sticker on it. I'm like, did you not hear what I just said? <laughs> <laughs> right, but they're, exactly. they're pointing us to a higher product because they are going to make more money. So that's what it sounds like to me when you're talking about that. And I love the fact that you, you made a very clear distinction between fee only and then commission. And I, I agree hundred percent that you really do need to know. I, I think that that's, that's amazing. So your third question on here, I don't know if this plays into it or not, but, uh, is, are you 100% an independent fiduciary? Right, Eric. So there are two key words here, 
independent and fiduciary. And we're going to focus on fiduciary, first of all. If you're a fiduciary, and if you're a 100% fiduciary, it means that you 100% are legally obligated to act in the client's best interests, that you're legally obligated to put the client's best interests ahead of your own. Mm -hmm. Now, Eric, that might seem strange that financial advisors are not legally obligated, and they're not. The majority of financial advisors are not legally obligated to put their client's interests first. That's weird. Yeah. Now, if they are fee-only, if they're 100% fee-only, strangely enough, they are required to put their client's interests first. If they sell product for commissions, when they're selling that product, they are not required to put their client's interest first. If they can get a bigger commission by selling a different product, they are allowed to do that. Wow. Even if it's not the best product for the client. Yeah, that's, that's kind of shady. <laughs> right. <laughs> so then we have the word independent. Mm -hmm. Why independent matters is because if you're working for a big firm or you know for a Wall Street firm or one of the big insurance companies, you cannot be a 100% independent fiduciary mm. because the firm will require you potentially to act in their best interests rather than the clients. In fact, I got a little story around that that, in fact, you may remember I've told you before, Eric, but I was interviewing a young advisor and he had become disenchanted at one point by the industry because he was working for one of these big Wall Street firms. And he was reviewing an annuity for a client, a potential annuity for the client. And it was taking him a while. And, and the man, his manager said, we'll call him John. John, what's taking you so long? And John says, I'm trying to make sure that this is the best product for the client and it's in their best interest. And the manager says, John, forget about the best interest for the client. What about your best interest and XYZ firm best interest, mm. our best interest, right? I mean, yeah. he was pretty much ready to put in his notice <laughs> that yeah, day. It's just, oh, man, I, okay. Those are the yeah. people that you just, you just kind of picture from the cartoons, right? Where they're in their office sitting on bags of money, you know, and that's what they're propping themselves up on and just, you know, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Terrible. Yeah. Then there was another story I had from a friend, colleague of mine who worked for one of the big famous Wall Street warehouses. And I had actually inherited a client from this warehouse, and and they seemed to have a product that I was surprised that they had. And I said to my friend, you know, why would XYZ firm have ever sold the client this product? And my friend said, oh, well, the guy probably had to make his numbers for that quarter. And the manager probably told him, you got to try and sell mm -hmm. this many of that product. So that's something that clients are often unaware of, right? And you yeah. need to be aware of. So what is independent? So independent, you can ask your advisor if they're independent, but if they're independent, they're not attached to a firm such as that. If they work for a registered investment advisor, a pure registered investment advisor, 100% RIA, then most likely they're going to be independent and they're going to be acting in your best interests ahead of their own. And they're going to put your interests for that of their firm. Got it. All right. Well, this next one, I know that this is pretty deep. And it's a great question to be asking. What is your investment philosophy and process? And we've talked a lot about your process before, but that's a great question for any advisor. Right. So investments are just 
should just be a part of what your financial advisor helps you with. But I realize that for many people, when they first reach out to a financial advisor, they're thinking that that's what your financial advisor is going to be doing for you. They're going to be picking this stock or that stock or coming up with some crazy option scheme or whatever, which may or may not be the case. (laughs) But at the very least, you need to understand their philosophy and you need to understand if they have a philosophy. And two of the biggest demarcation is whether they believe in what we call passive investing or whether they believe in active investing. And I don't think I'm going to get too deeply into what the difference is there at this point, but it's just important for the client to be aware of what that philosophy is. Also, to be aware, do they believe in buying individual stocks and bonds, or do they buy mutual funds, or they buy electronic traded funds, or do they buy annuities for you? You know, How are they going to invest your money, and what's the philosophy behind it? Mm. And then the last thing that they may use is is what we call alternatives. Do they use hedge funds? Do they have access to private equity? Do they believe in it? I know some very big advisors working with very wealthy families who can have access to all kinds of what we call alternatives who choose not to do it, that they don't think it's the right thing for clients. Now, I'm not saying that hedge funds and private equity are or aren't. I'm just saying it's important for you to know when you work with a, an advisor what their philosophy is. Yeah. All right. Well, we've reached the halfway point. Question number five on your list is, do you outsource your investment management? There's no right or wrong to that answer. You know, currently we do not outsource our investment management, but a lot of financial advisors do. You might assume that when you're working with a financial advisor, that they are going to be doing the investment management for you. More often than not, not, that is not the case. They may outsource it to a different part of the firm. You know, if you're working with a bank, that it's going to be someone else in the bank who's going to be managing your portfolio, mm-hmm. or someone else in the Wall Street firm who's managing your portfolio. Or they may outsource it completely to what we call a third party manager. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. Okay. All right. And then number six, what are the hidden investment management fees? And you have hidden in quotes as I'm reading this. So what does that mean? Right. I've put down hidden because when a financial advisor, if they are charging you for investment management, and we'll just say, you know, we'll quote the kind of industry standard of 1%, and they may say, yeah, I'm charging you 1% investment management fees. But there are often other fees that are not so transparent that you need to understand so that you're comparing apples with apples. Mm-hmm. So what are those other fees? So they can be those third-party management fees that I just referenced, that if they're outsourcing your investment management to someone else, they have to pay that other third-party manager. So I'm not saying that's a good or a bad strategy. It may be a great strategy. Just know there's a cost with that and understand what that cost is. The next level of fees are the fees within the investments themselves. If you've got mutual funds or ETFs or annuities, there is going to be a fee inside those kind of investment products. And you've got to read the prospectus and read the fine print to find out what that fee is. But you can also ask your financial advisor, what's the average cost of your mutual funds or the average costs in there? Because let me just give you an example, Eric. You may have one financial advisor who says, hey, I'm not going to charge you 1%. I'm going to charge you 0.8% rather than 1%. 
And uh, there's another advisor that says, I'm going to charge you 1.2%. But then when you drill down to these other fees, it may be the advisor who says they're only charging 0.8% is also going to be paying out third-party management fees, and they may be using more expensive mutual funds, Mm -hmm. and their fees may add up to 1.8% or 2%. So you may end up, actually, it may be a much more expensive process. I'm not saying that's better or worse. I'm just saying, understand what the total fees are. Yeah, that's that's great information. All right, number seven, this question I never, I never would have thought of, quite honestly. Question number seven is, do you have expertise in my particular niche? So this comes down to financial planning. And as we're going to see, I'm a, I'm a big fan of financial planning. Mm-hmm. And if you're working with a financial advisor who believes in financial planning, the more that they understand your niche, the better. So let's say that you're a dentist and maybe you're trying to develop your practice to sell it. There are going to be financial advisors who specialize in working with dentists. They're going to know everything about your business, how to optimize your business, Mm. how to optimize that sale, what kind of retirement strategies you might be able to use, what kind of tax strategies you might be able to use. So it would be really good to work with a financial advisor who specializes in dentists. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So I'm asking you the question. Oh, right. Right. I know that you don't have expertise in my particular niche because, you know, I'm different than your clientele, but what do you specialize in? Right. Well, Eric, actually, I, I, we, we might have specialty in your, in your particular niche because we specialize in entertainment and entrepreneurs. And to a certain extent, you know, I'm a little bit above that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, we, we have a lot of clients that are in the entertainment industry. So we understand the entertainment industry, uh, pension plans and how to optimize that. We understand the tax strategies that can be used for people who are in the entertainment industry who who basically are entrepreneurs they have their own business you know mm-hmm. if if you're an actor or if you're a producer or a director or a film editor or a composer you may not see yourself as an entrepreneur but many of these people have corporations and they're, so effectively they're business owners yeah. and there are things that you can do to optimize their finances and make a huge difference by yeah. understanding that all right well that does lead us right into question 8 which you touched on a little bit do you focus on financial planning, which is a great question for any advisor that you're interviewing. And I know your answer to this. <laughs> right, exactly. So yes, obviously, I believe um, in focusing on financial planning. And it may be that some people, all they want is their investments managed. And if your advisor doesn't focus on financial planning, but they're very focused on investment management, you know, that's fine. They better be, <laughs> that's a much smaller task. So they better be charging you very cost-efficient fees. But for those of us who focus on financial planning, you know what are the advantages? So for instance, tax mitigation. We will often come up with strategies that the CPAs don't have time to think about mm-hmm. or, or don't have time to discuss with the clients. So recently, for instance, I had a major client who has a business and I hit him up about a thing called employee retention credits. And I just wanted to make sure that his accountant had reached out to him about employee retention credits. The accountant hadn't, even though the accountant was a very expensive, big Hollywood accountant. So my client asked the accountant about it. 
they actually actually had to hire an outside party to apply for the employee retention credits. And he got tens of thousands of dollars, maybe even hundreds of thousands of dollars in employee retention credits, because it was something that we spotted and we spotted mm-hmm. with other clients. And we just wanted to make sure that our clients who qualified for that were getting them, right? So coming yeah. up with tax mitigation. I mean, that's just a small example. There are so many examples I could give you of where we help reduce clients' taxes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Again, that's part of the overall planning. If you're new to the podcast, you need to understand that that Adam has already, you know, we've had a few podcasts already, and one of them is really diving deep into his process, what he does, what he believes. Um, I think that's probably number one or two, somewhere in there. But you really dive deep into why it's so important to you to take a look at every part of the plan, because like you said, taxes is just one piece of it. And there's so many other pieces that you focus on because it all works together. And if you're not, if you're just missing pieces, then it's kind of like the puzzle's incomplete. Absolutely. Yeah. And when it comes to financial planning, there are things as assuring somebody that they're on track for retirement and they can take more time off. You know, I received a phone call from a client where the client said to me they had just taken the summer off. They took a number of months off in the summer because I had assured them that they basically don't need to work anymore. Now, they love working, so mm-hmm. they're going to continue to work, but it was such a relief, and they just called me and said, thank you. You know, you just transformed my That's life awesome. because I could take this time off, and I've spent these months in South America. Wow. Yeah like a whole cloud of stress like lifted and that's a great thing to be able to do for clients you know i was yeah. on the i was on the uh, on a zoom call yesterday with a new client and that is saying to the client let's get a vacation on the calendar that you can afford you can afford a, um, to travel she had mentioned she wanted to start traveling she wasn't sure she could do it and we've committed she's going to put that hawaii vacation on her calendar nice nice All right. Question number nine. And you've actually got a couple pieces of this because again, this is one I would not have thought of Adam. So I think this is perfect. The main question is what is the process of working with you? And you have a couple secondary questions. One of them being, will I be working directly with you? Which I never would have thought to ask. I mean, if I'm interviewing a guy or a lady, I would think, yeah, I'm going to work with them. And then the other part of this question is how often will we meet? Why are those so important to ask? You know, I have to say that this probably only recently occurred to me. But I was advising a client who was interviewing some top business managers in town. Mm -hmm. And I said to my client, he was a very successful cinematographer. And I said, uh, when you're choosing a business manager, and obviously he was looking for rapport, I said, make sure that you enjoy working with them. But I said, also, it's no good if you enjoy working with the boss, if it turns out you're working with some team members underneath and you Mm -hmm. don't feel a connection with them. And he later reached out to me and said, Adam, thank you so much for telling me that because he interviewed some different teams and he realized that he was going to be working with the team members and not with the boss. And the relationship with those team members uh, actually turned out to be kind of quite a significant part of of that decision, who he felt most comfortable with. So how often will we meet? In this business, that can be quite important. We will offer to meet our clients once a quarter, especially if they have a lot going on. Sometimes as the relationship develops and things get set in, they may just want like an official review once a year, but hopefully we'll touch base with them several times a year with a phone call. 
I was meeting with clients in New York and I was having dinner with some friends who are not clients and and I had just met with other clients for dinner and the people who were meeting with friends were kind of amazed that I'd just been having dinner with clients and they said, well, do you do that? I mean, how often do you have dinner with your clients? Do you do this with all of your clients? And I said, yeah, we have a pretty close relationship. I'm not saying we have dinner with every client, but we have a pretty good close relationship with our clients. And this particular person, they have a financial advisor and you know they, they've got several million dollars. And they said, no, you know, <laughs> they certainly, that is not the relationship they have. And they really barely ever hear from the financial advisor. Although some of it is, they also don't respond to the financial advisor. So I don't want to hold that advisor completely accountable, but also the advisor may not be doing anything that's significant for them that, so maybe they don't feel it's important to respond to the client, to the advisor. But anyway, either way, make sure there's good communication there and that you're not just going to be forgotten. That would be the worst thing is you sign up and you never hear from these people again. Well, I mean, here's the thing is that, who doesn't get too many emails, right? I mean, and, and so if you have an advisor that's just emailing you a newsletter every two weeks or once a month or whatever, I'm not responding to that person either, you know, because all it is is just them shoving stuff in my email box. Like you said, if it's a relationship or it should be. And if there's a relationship there, then when I get an email, there's something important that they want to tell me. And then I'm going to have a discussion with them. And I thank them for that. But yeah, I can totally see that. That yeah, That makes perfect sense. And Eric, if they're emailing you with a tax strategy saying, hey, Eric, we need to do this by the end of the year, and it's going to reduce your taxes by $20,000. Now that's going to make you hopefully wake up and think, you know what, (laughs) I better get on the phone with my advisor. Yeah. Or I would hope that my advisor would just call me too, right? Just say, hey, I've been trying to get a hold of you. Didn't see any response to the email, but I want to let you know the strategy because that's kind of why I brought them on board is I've got a busy life. I'm a busy person, a business owner. Like you said, they're entrepreneurs or they're in the entertainment industry. They are busy folks. They need to be able to rely on you, right? To be able to do that. So I, I think that's right. fantastic because I know that's the relationship you guys build. All right. We're at number 10. Can you believe it? We're already here. <laughs> right, good. And this has so. to do with designations. And the question is, are you a CFP, which stands for certified financial planner? So are you a CFP? And there are different designations in the industry. But this is arguably, I would say, the most difficult to get and the most highly revered when Mm -hmm. it comes to financial planning. And the most important if you're working with a financial advisor. So yeah, certified financial planner. Sadly, right now, anybody can call themselves a financial planner. (laughs) Unlike a doctor, not anybody can call themselves a doctor. But the uh, CFP board is actually trying to change it so that only people with a CFP can call themselves a financial planner. But as you know, Eric, there's like a, a major test, major studying, yes. major test you have to do to become a CFP. And you know, all of our advisors are CFPs. Yeah. And I don't want to gloss over when you say there's a test. For the folks that are interested, uh, there is a website called Investopedia, which is a great website for it's like a dictionary for investment type questions and concerns, go look up the CFP on Investopedia. It will tell you how robust that test is. It's like two years of study. It's not like, hey, I'm going to read this book for a month and go take a test. It's like a two-year study program that you normally have to complete, and then you take this huge test. It is probably, in my opinion, this is just me, the most robust designation that you can have. So I agree with you 100%, Adam. Right. 
Right. Yeah. Thanks, Eric. And of course, there's the experience. You've got to have the work experience in the industry as well. Yeah. And actually, just to touch on some of the financial planning things from from earlier that, you know, we talked about tax mitigation. We talked about, you know, retirement planning. But in doing the CFP, there's also a lot around estate planning. And you know, I've seen some real mistakes in estate planning that mm. having the CFP, you learn to pick up on that. I've seen some very simple mistakes as well, like seeing the wrong beneficiary. I once had a new client I brought on board, I looked at the beneficiaries that were on their account should they die that from the bank. There were these completely random people named. And I called up the client. I said, who are these people? Mm. They had no idea who they were. Whoa. Right? But a simple little thing like that, that your financial advisor, and there's more sophisticated things they can be doing with your estate planning, but simple things like that, they should be taken care of. And yeah, there's you know, asset protection. If they've got a CFP, making sure that you're that your assets can't be unjustly taken from you uh, mm -hmm. in some kind of a lawsuit. There are ways to structure things. And then finally, you know, helping you with things like charitable giving, making sure that's being done in the most efficient way. So these are all things that a CFP can help you do. Perfect. And, and you actually end this entire list with a question that I really feel that the consumer now needs to be able to ask themselves. And that question is, do I feel comfortable with this person? Do I feel comfortable asking them questions? And do I like them? I think that's vitally important. And, and I think through this interview process, if you know, you're asking a couple of these questions and the, the advisor gets all defensive, well, there's your answer, right? But if they're open and said, yo, that's a great question and let's discuss it. If you feel comfortable, I think that's a really good sign, right? Right, absolutely, Eric. And one reason why this came to me is because I've had clients who've who've come over and joined us, who've thanked us and expressed their appreciation saying, Adam, I'm just so appreciative that I feel comfortable asking you anything yeah. that my former advisor, or sometimes it might be my accountant, makes me feel stupid when I ask these questions, but I just can come to you. And to be honest, we enjoy answering these questions. You know, we're like teachers, we love it. We wanna educate our clients. And I think it's really important for clients to feel comfortable with their advisor, not to feel intimidated and not to feel confused, right? To make sure you can understand what they're saying and that they don't get impatient with you and that they're willing to make sure you understand this stuff. Cause this is, this is your life, right? Yeah. Having your finances together is after your health is maybe the most important thing in life. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Adam, again, I'm sure we have some new listeners this week, so I'm pretty excited about that. How do they reach out to you if they want to interview you and they want to talk to you more about these questions? Great. Well, thank you, Eric. So as ever, the great place to go is to go to our website, www.wellacrewealth.com. That's www.wellacrewealth.com. Or else just give us a call on 310-220-4946. 310-220-4946. Perfect. Adam, thank you so much for your time today. Well, Eric, great talking with you as ever. All right. And our last thank you will always go to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Red Carpet Retirement Podcast with Adam Scott. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Adam comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it really easy to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Wellacre Wealth, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Wellacre Wealth Management, LLC. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. 
content should not be considered as legal or tax advice, nor is it intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor and consult with your own legal and tax professionals before taking any action.